the SF Music Tech Summit, recorded live by Media One Audiovisual. To learn more about us, visit us online at MediaOneAudio.com. Essentially, what this is about is talking about some of the um, enabling technologies and, and applications behind the next generation music creation and production apps. So thanks to mobile devices, cloud computing, uh, faster and faster CPUs, uh, and some really innovative software algorithms, we're now seeing you know, really a further democratization of music creation and production. Uh, we've had uh, uh, some great discussion uh, amongst this group about uh, how we think it's, uh, you know, where we think it's going, uh, the technologies behind it, but uh, to, to look at a good example, if you look at the panelists, I think we run the full spectrum of everything from very simplified iPhone apps all the way to you know, truly traditional, uh, complex you know, music creation and production tools. So um, maybe we'll start off at the end, and if, uh, if you guys could just kind of uh, introduce yourself and then you know, give the audience a little background about uh, what, what your company does. Sure. I'm Prerna Gupta, CEO of Kush. We develop intelligent music apps, and what that means is we use artificial intelligence to help people make music. So um, our goal is to democratize uh, music creation and to make it easier for um, everyone in the world, from a two-year-old child to you know a 60-year-old who's never had any music training to make music. Um, our apps are, we have two apps, Songify and La-di-da. Songify was uh, recently the number one app in the world, and you, you speak into it, and it will uh, turn your speech into music. So that's one of the things, um, you know, one of the ways in which we see, uh, you know, technology making it easier for anyone to make music. I'm Jeff Daniel. I'm CEO of uh, StarMaker, and we produce music-based mobile games and apps, um, and uh, in some ways similar to La Dida, um, and, and Songify, we uh, allow user to insert their voice into songs. Our spin is a bit different in that we focus on pop songs, folks' favorite songs, and users can download these multi-track recordings, uh, listen to the original guide vocal, insert their voice into the songs, apply effects like auto-tune and other effects, um, and then share and sort of go on a game journey and share those songs and publish that content. So it's really for mainstream consumers. It's for folks... Um, uh, to find their favorite songs and be able to sing it and feel what it's like. And, and it really introduces people and gets folks comfortable with singing and publishing their content. I'm Doug Wright, CEO of Sonoma Wireworks. Uh, I started the company because I felt uh, stifled by uh, the creative process of writing music in front of a DAW and created a guitar player-centric recording application called Riffworks. And our iPhone applications are an extension of that original mission, which was, you know, make recording more accessible to anyone, anywhere, anytime. We made four track for the iPhone, studio track for the iPad, and um, now we've done an input device called Guitar Jack for the iPhone and iPad that lets you get your guitar, microphone, or other instrument directly into the phone anywhere, anytime. And uh, it, you know really opens up the ability to be creative wherever and whenever. And that's, you know, what it's all about. Okay, I'm John Von Segeren. I'm not a CEO or an entre entrepreneur. I'm a producer, bassist, and DJ. And my main interest in these tools is how to negotiate the modern music landscape and earn a living as a musician or 
uh, sound designer, remixer, producer, composer, you know, whatever work is coming along. I also work, I have worked for the last six years for Native Instruments, which some of you may know. We make complex software synthesizers and samplers and so on. And I'm also working for DubSpot Online, which is an online school teaching people how to use all these tools to make their own music. Awesome. So let's start first with with the device. And so this is uh, uh, aimed at uh, those of you that have had the challenge of you know, coding up an app for, uh, let's say, for iPhone. So when, when you coded up your first app, is, is, it, is the device a limiting factor uh, in terms of CPU and RAM? Uh, is, is that what limited the features that you put in? Yeah, I'll start. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but by the same token, the, the device is the thing that makes it possible to do a four-track in your pocket anywhere you are. So there, it's a limiting factor and an expanding factor. But, yeah, CPU and memory were huge limiting factors in what features we decided to put in. So, uh, But as the phones get faster, we're adding more and more features, and you know they're catching up to you know desktop computing really quickly. And I'll, I'll give uh, Doug a pat on the back. When we were starting StarMaker, we were looking at the available technology um, to understand whether it was possible to do this multi-track recording and visuals on the phone at the same time. And, and we saw what they had done with 4Track, which is this amazing app that's so simple and has such great uh, power uh, in the iPhone. We said, well, if these guys can do it, you know, we can definitely you know, use this sort of multi-track um, recording capability. But we are a bit limited by the processing speed. Um, you know, when we layer on effects, we do some heavy-duty stuff like Antares Auto-Tune, uh, which uses a lot of processing power to keep it perfectly real-time while you're singing. Um, and in order to do multi-track recording and Antares Auto-Tune real-time, as well as effects like reverb, chorus, uh, compression, um, that starts to push the, the, the limit. Newer phones, not a problem. 3GS iPhones is you know, becomes a problem, gets skittery unless you really optimize the audio. So you're sort of limited and you need to be maybe a little more creative and really need to boil it down to just the basic feature set and just the basic things that you need without having to put in all the bells and whistles. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that, that's been mentioned here is there's actually a drastic difference between the earlier iPhones and the iPhone 4. Um, with iPhone 4, we're starting to see, there, there are obviously limitations, like they're saying, but I think that it's actually incredibly powerful. <laughs> that's what we find a lot of times for having such a small device that's ubiquitous and that people carry around with them. I think we found it, been just amazed by how much you can actually do on the device. So, yeah. I guess I would just comment, Native Instruments has recently announced our first iPhone app, which is iMachine, and we tried to take one of our powerful desktop tools and boil it down into an iPhone app, and one of the questions we tried to ask was, what could you actually do on the iPhone that would be useful to you if you're used to working on a powerful desktop environment, and so what we've done is we kind of made a software which is an extension of our desktop software, and it lets you load part of your project or some samples and then uh, take it with you and work on it and then load it back into the computer and keep going from there. So it's like an extension of your desktop instead of trying to do everything in one because we figured you wouldn't be able to make a professional track, you know, just in your phone. But that, you know, that, you know, to tangentialize that, that limitation of like what can you do on the phone is a really fun thing from an artist's perspective because, you know, sometimes when you sit down in front of a DAW and you have everything under the sun right in front of you at all times, you like it, you know, staring at the blank sheet of paper. Where do I start? Um, 
I've only got four tracks, make it count is a really interesting place to be. And, and, you know, artists have always had sketch pads and you start on the sketch pad and then you fill it in with, you know, oils or, or watercolors later. So having that sketch pad with you all the time is a, is a hugely empowering thing. So the limitation isn't necessarily a, it's only a limitation from a, I want everything perspective. It's not a limitation from a, um, how, how, how is my creation process working? And and do you see it, you know, separated as um, you you do a sketch of something with your mobile device, and then you bring it back to the you know the, the pimped out home studio with the Orlex foam to do the the finished version? Well, I mean, if you ask any artist, they're always dissatisfied in the end with their final product. That's what like the meaning of an artist is. <laughs> if you're happy, you're not an artist. So you've got it. Like you're, there's always something better, something more you can improve. So maybe you ship it straight from the phone, but you always think, well, I could, you know, I could do more. You know, let me let me refine this. It's 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 a continuous refine, you know, for refinement process. So yeah, you can take it from your phone and refine it. But you can also hit share from your phone if you're on a trip and you're not going to be near your computer for a long time. You can send it to your producer, your friend, your grandma, you know, and 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 they can hear what you did instantly. So that that's also hugely empowering, and that isn't there on your desktop. You have to wait till you're in a Wi-Fi hotspot or whatnot to to get your music out of the device. So, and and sharing. I'm glad you guys. I'm glad you touched on sharing. This is something that um, you know is essentially built into every single one of your products. Uh, I mean, it could not be more easy to share. Uh, so can you talk a little about, you know, how you, you know, how you see... <laughs> That's Songify, by the way. <laughs> nice. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about, you know, how you've seen people using that and, and you know, how it's in, increased interaction uh, for the apps? We, uh, we have several methods to share recordings that you make in, in Star Maker. So in Star Maker, you download your favorite pop songs, your favorite songs, um, sort of learn to deconstruct the song well enough to sing it, uh, learn the lyrics, um, record your version. You can improve upon it. Uh, then you can post it to your profile, share that with folks, check out your metrics, um, see how many folks have listened, how many stars you've been given. You can share it via Facebook, Twitter. Um, and we find one of the interesting things is that users are starting to write their own lyrics to their favorite pop songs, and it's, it can be really fun. You know, people are doing it in different languages. We, we have uh, Andy Grammer's song, Keep Your Head Up, featured in the app right now, doing a promotion with their management and label. We're giving out that song for the month. And uh, just last night I heard a, a Farsi version of Keep Your Head Up. Hadn't, hadn't expected it before, but there, it's pretty cool. Uh, another user, you know, wrote a song about the Smurfs movie based on Nicki Minaj's song, Your Love. Clearly took the time to write the lyrics and really worked through the whole song. Well delivered for a nine-year-old, I think, or eight-year-old. <laughs> um, awesome. So I think people, you know, it really allows them to really get into, like, deconstruct a song and then learn how to write one themselves and play it over a great backing track, you know, of their favorite song and then post it and share it and get feedback uh, from their um, friends in their social graph. Yeah, so, I mean, like I said, you know, one of our goals is to democratize music creation, and I think there are two aspects to that. One is making, uh, you know, bringing, creating technology that makes that possible for people who don't have any musical training. But the other aspect, which is equally important, is being able to get that music out there to millions of people. And so if someone, you know, some, you know, 10-year-old who's sitting in Nebraska somewhere 
you know, makes a song but doesn't have any way of getting that out in front of people, there's no point to it. So I think certainly the Twitter sharing and Facebook sharing are an integral part of what we do and, and you know, they make it much more meaningful. So, yeah, absolutely. I think one of the most interesting things we talked about while we were getting ready for this panel is how all the tools that all of our companies make are make they're extending it so that more and more people can be creators and be artists and to me that's changing the role of music in society where you're you're changing it to where it's becoming more of a form of communication than necessarily a product to be sold in the marketplace you know a lot of the people your app sounds so simple. A lot of the, peop- the people that are using that app are not trying to make hit songs. They're just trying to have fun with music and show their friends. And but, yeah. but but the hit can be that you made up a song and sung it in Farsi and posted it on YouTube. That can yeah. be a hit now. So True. what is a hit is like totally blurring at the same time. It depends on what you're trying to do too. If you know if you put your Farsi remix on YouTube, you're not going to make any money off it. But if a million people watch it, that might be. You, you might end up on a show and win a million dollars, though. <laughs> what you know? Yeah, yeah, that's that's you're totally gonna, right. You're not going to make money in the traditional record company sense. So there is, you know, just not to diverge too much, but um, so this the app that we did, Songify, was a partnership with the Gregory Brothers, and they are well known for a series called Auto Tune the News, and yeah. probably one of the biggest mm-hmm. their biggest hits was Bed Intruder Song, and they were, I mean, they're they're musicians, but you know they're not signed with any label. Um, they they live in Brooklyn. They're a group of brothers and one of the brothers' wives, and they just started taking these clips off of the news and you know putting Auto Tune to them and doing all these things, and they became actually like professional musicians, money-making musicians just off of some basically like random hits that you're talking about on YouTube. So I think that there is, there is actually, and I agree with what you're saying, I think certainly it is much more about, you know, being able to express yourself and have fun, and that's, that's primarily the experience that we're targeting, but there is this element of anyone can be a star, and I think that's important too. And it's funny, it's just funny because there's like all the different so many points to this because you know I had I've related this anecdote I'm sitting in my living room my son plays saxophone I'm watching him practice Society Red by Dexter Gordon for like the umpteenth time and I get an email from a guy who says I bought studio track and it doesn't have an editor do you actually expect me to play the song all the way through <laughs> and I'm like well actually that's what musicians used to have to do and I'm watching my nine year old try to do that right now so you know I wanted to reply Yes, <laughs> and just leave it at that. But uh, you know, so there are tools that are making it easier for people who you might not have originally described as musicians become musicians and professional ones at that. And then there are tools. And and what is a musician? A musician is someone who makes music. What's making music? And that's just the really open-ended, like you know, question. And my tools. Four track and studio track are making it easier for musicians to capture what they're doing. They don't necessarily make it easier for you to become a musician. Other things are making it easier to become a musician, but you still have to have the talent and the, the creativity to make up these things that are what makes it music. And it's that that creativity that makes music. Yeah. Uh, so, to me, a lot of these tools enable anyone to make some musical expression. But then, of course, somebody's expression is always going to be more interesting than others to other people and some people will always be the great artists that will be able to speak to a lot of us but that doesn't mean that the other 90% of people can't enjoy communicating how they're feeling by creating music absolutely awesome Uh, 
so we're going to go to one of my favorite topics. Uh, we've talked a bit about you know how the device that you're bringing with you everywhere enables certain types of uh, you know just kind of creativity on the fly and being able to do anything anywhere. The fact that this device is also connected to the internet all the time makes hitting that share button you know guaranteed to work. Uh, unless you're in the proximity of other iPhone users, then it might not work. Uh, <laughs> but let's talk about uh, some of the artificial intelligence that uh, in, you know, in recent years has really you know, enabled it such that uh, in the case of, you know, in the case of, of la-di-da, I can just sing something in as, as, as you know, horribly as I sing. I could sing something in, and then, bam, this, this whole track is kind of composed around me. Um, as an extension of that, a kind of feature that a lot of uh, a lot of your programs have is uh, auto tune on by default. So, I mean, is is this really necessary to to have auto tune on <laughs> by default? And is this really just <laughs> teaching your teaching somebody how to ride a bike with training wheels for ten years? <laughs> I'll speak to that because we did have auto-tune on by default. We integrated Antares auto-tune into Star Maker. Um, and, and ultimately, we are we're not trying to um, uh, be at the professional music spec end of the spectrum. We are trying to enable the masses to, to sing and have fun and play a game and go on a singing journey and uh, and feel good about their singing. You know, there's this... There's this moment in time, you know, kids, kids are totally comfortable with singing publicly. Um, they love it. They love their voice. They love expressing themselves. And then you reach this age and you become self-conscious about singing. Um, and we're trying to give that back to people where it's like, hey, it's okay to sing. And if it takes a little auto-tune that we've tuned every song to the correct scale uh, with the correct key changes, so you're going to sound good, you're going to hit an acceptable note at any given time, you know, is that really such a terrible thing if it's going to get people to sing more and share more? You know, we're not taking ourselves that seriously. We want people to have fun with this, and we want them to to sing. And you know, I, I realize that's a very different end of the spectrum from the professional audio side. And I, you know, you guys, I think, are more. They use auto tune and professional. Yeah, audio. Of, course, <laughs> of course they do, and that's more. It's I'm I'm much more conflicted about that. But in terms of our use, I feel like you know. We're not hurting anybody. We're making folks feel better about their singing and feel more open to sharing it. I think that's great. You know, you can call it Photoshop for your voice if you want, but, you know, great. That, you know, every single photo you see in a magazine or a newspaper has been retouched, you know, to the nth degree. Uh, that's become part of the creative process. I mean, that's what we do with all these exactly. digital that's, tools. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I think a fundamental premise for our company, and I think probably for everyone here, is that technology doesn't inhibit creativity. It enhances creativity. You know, humans have always used technology to enhance their creativity. There were bone flutes 35,000 years ago. That was, what was that? That was the use of the technology that we had available to us at the time to increase the types of musical experiences that we were able, you know, that we were, we had the ability to, to create. Um, one of the things that we were just talking about, a lot of people don't realize this, but when the piano first came out, people, you know, serious musicians thought it was a joke. They thought it was the end of music and the end of human creativity because piano is essentially like auto-tune. You know, when you, when you had, before when you had instruments like the violin, it was extremely hard to play a note at the right pitch. 
And with the piano, all you have to do is press a button. And so, you know, now obviously we look at the piano, we don't think of the, you know, the great pianists in the world as being somehow subpar musicians to the great violinists. They've created, they've shown though with technology that makes one aspect of music creation easier, you can reach to greater heights in creativity in other aspects. And that's how we look at all of, you know, the products that we create and the products that all of you guys are creating. I, I think that leads a lot of people into creating music at all because in the past, so many people would just give up. It took so many years to be able to play the piano or the guitar to the level where you could even play, you know, row the boat ashore or something. Yeah. <laughs> and now if you, can, if you can start out by other means and get something that is halfway acceptable, then yeah. you're more encouraged to go on and pursue it, I think. Totally. So it's part of the tools that are kind of basically part of the democratization is not just putting the, the tools in everybody's hands, but uh, helping them fix some of the mistakes that they might be less comfortable with. Yeah. 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 I mean, you've been doing it in the studio as professionals forever. It's yeah. just gotten easier and cheaper. Yeah. I mean, you used to have cheaper. to do five vocal takes and then sit there with a razor blade and cut together the pieces in order to make the good take. And, you know, when I was learning stuff in the studio, they said if your vocalist can't get a good take and they don't want to, you, you don't want to do the spliced version or the spliced version is too difficult, splice it together anyway and send the vocalist home with the version where they sing it correctly so that they can hear themselves hitting all the notes. They'll come back the next day and be able to sing it better. And so, you know, if you, if you take that, you know, if you listen to yourself singing off key all the time, eventually that sounds right. So if you, at least you listen to yourself through auto tune all the time, you might not be doing it, but at least you're not listening to it wrong. So I think that's if, a, sorry, know, yeah. I think that's a really important point because um, I am bass player myself. That's still my first love, and I still believe there is some value to knowing how to play the song all the way through by yourself. I think there's real value in that. But I've experienced that I can learn things much faster now with all these tools. And my learning curve is a lot faster than it was when I was in my 20s because of that, just because of things like you said with the auto-tune. Mm-hmm. We see actually, in StarMaker, we actually see a progression. We see users who will post to their profile a song, and the first time they do it, it's not particularly great. In fact, we have lots of not great recordings. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then there's really an improvement. You can see, you know, over five or six recordings of the same song that they post, they're learning it, they're becoming better singers. Um, and so, and, and you'll often see people who, by default, will go and try auto-tune first because they're curious about what is that auto-tune sound, you know, what is my voice going to sound like with auto-tune. And then when they get into it and practice some songs, they tend to not record with auto-tune. They take it off and, and just do it with reverb. So, you know, I think it actually can improve people's, as you said, you know, can improve their singing if they can learn what they're supposed to be hitting. Well, especially if you can't read music. <laughs> Well, if, if, the, you know, if auto-tune is a kind of, uh, I'll call it a, a signal processing form of intelligence, uh, uh, Perna, I was kind of curious if you've received any uh, negative feedback to you, know, you guys encoding musical intelligence. So when we first started doing this, um, we've been around for a couple of years now, and you know, the, the first, before La-di-da really took off and got popular, um, the first blog posts and stuff that we got were in more of like the music tech or music, you know, geek blogs. And there was definitely some negative feelings towards it in the beginning. I think there's this, we see this, when, you, when you're talking about music, um, you know, it's a, 
it's, it's very like fundamental. People get really sensitive about it because I think they, they think it's, it's something that's sort of fundamentally human. It's emotional. It's something that moves us. And when artificial intelligence starts to encroach on that, I think it makes people uncomfortable because you're saying that you're telling me that this computer can create something that's going to move me, you know, or you, this computer can create something that um, that's supposed to take a special human to create or especially talented or gifted human to create. And it bothers people a little bit. But what we started to see is that when you kind of let go of that and just focus on the experience and focus on, you know, the the, as I said, the creativity that's actually enhanced through these technologies, um, we're, we're seeing a sea change. You know, we don't get that anymore, really, at all. And it's because people are, we've proven, I think, that it is, in fact, enabling more creativity than it is, than it is um, detracting from. And one example of that that, you know, that I've seen with Songify, um, I mean, you know, La Di Da was, you still have to be able to sing something to get anything interesting out of la di da la di da is reverse karaoke, so you sing and it composes music to match. <clears throat> and we do auto-tune and reverb as well, so um, you know it helps you. But if you can't sing at all, you're not going to get something that sounds good out of it. Um, with Songify, you really don't have to sing at all. At all, you just talk, and you know almost everyone can talk. And so, <laughs> so <laughs> when, when we were developing it, I had this a little bit of this thought where I was saying, you know, are we are we really going too far down that path? Of, you know, the, the person doesn't have to do anything. At some point, you can just press a button and the computer can make music out of it, right? What's the point of that? But what I've been actually amazed because when you, when you listen to the stuff that people create with Songify, there, you see differences. There are people who start to understand that if you say things with a certain prosody, or you know, you 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 speak in rhymes, or you know, you can you can you can the input you can. There's creativity in the way people are um, inputting just even speech into the into the app, and they're creating better music through those decisions, through those creative decisions. Well, it's you know, it's a it's a funky transition to isolate only the songwriting part of music to I'm only making up the, basically the poetry or the, the, the prose or whatever, the, the, the words and the, like you said, the, the emphasis on certain words, that's breaking down the songwriting process to just that little tiny piece and letting people experience just that part, yeah. which is really unique. I, you know, I can't write, I, I don't write lyrics at all. I can't even open my mouth while I have a guitar in my hand without like playing playing the next note wrong. So uh, the the idea of singing and playing music is completely foreign to me. So the like it's it's appealing. I want to go play with it now and see if I can start actually feeling like I can write songs like from the songwriting perspective. I like I write riffs on the guitar and that's it. That's all I do yeah. or all I have done in the past. So being able to isolate just that piece that could like create a breakthrough for me. Like, I'm sitting here thinking that right now. Like, that could be the thing that breaks me through to actually writing songs. <laughs> um, so, I mean, song, us, music is such a huge, complicated thing to be able to break it into the pieces. That's what we did with Riffworks. We broke recording up into just the sections. When you're in the studio, you work with a band. It's great when the band can play the whole thing through, but often you have to break it up and like be like, okay, we've got to do the verse again, or we've got to do the chorus again, especially when you're doing the vocals and the guitars. You like just re-record re those pieces once you have the underlying pieces. We made a program that lets you grab the drum loop that you want. I'm not a drummer. 
So I don't play the drums. If, is the song I write by just playing guitar over drums that I pulled together from loops, is that not music writing? So it's, it's just, you're just breaking it down into a, a simpler piece. And yeah. maybe once you've written the song and you hear what Songify did to it or la da did to something that you did, maybe that will give you the idea to then make it the change that really makes it yours. So, you know, it's idea generation, and it's a creative tool. It's, it's super cool. And, like, I'm, my mind is exploding up here on the Doug. stage. <laughs> Doug's a big fan. <laughs> you know, that just makes me think, though, even with the complicated software that Native Instruments makes, a lot of what people end up doing with it is they take software that makes sounds, they toy with it in ways that they don't really understand. They're just twisting knobs sounds come out, they record it, and then they make decisions about which sounds to use. So it's kind of a pro- it's almost like using artificial intelligence already at that stage. I think mm-hmm. a lot more of that goes on than people realize. You know, when you hear a song on the radio, a lot of the parts chances are it wasn't that, oh, I want a sound exactly like that. It sounds sixty three. It's just they were just dialing through some sounds or some beats and they're like, hey, that sounds pretty good. Why don't we make a song off of this one? You know, it's a process of selection more than creation, even at the top professional level. Well that plays to what that plays to what Jay does more than anything else. I mean, let's hear your opinion. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I'll, I'll approach it from the, actually, the, the professional side. Um, it, it's you know, extremely contentious if you tell a mixing engineer that uh, you have some algorithms or techniques that could potentially automate their workflow. Um, you know, one, one technology that we work on is... Uh, 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 automatic instrument identification. So we have a kind of robust embedded type of automatic music instrument identification that can embed in embedded devices such that as soon as you plug in a microphone, our technology is listening to the other end of it and recognizes, oh, bass guitar. And, you know, bam, that kicks off a whole signal processing process of we label the track, we pull up, you know, EQs and compressor and stuff. Wow, that is contentious. You know, people just get scared at the higher level um, at, you know, that you're, you're trying to replace them. But, you know, the yeah. way... But, when, <laughs> but I always argue is, is you're not because who on earth likes putting down, you know, on a masking tape and writing down what's on each channel and having to do some of the mundane setup and, and you know, and, and that stuff. You're actually freeing them up to spend more time on the creative task of, you know, the, of their art which is, you know, making a mix sound good or, uh, or, you know, or doing that. Well, and how many people can actually afford to have an engineer that they're paying anyway? So it's really for the other 19 million right. people that don't, have, don't have, right. have a paid engineer that they want to, you know, label the tracks and everything. I mean, that's the, the, the first thing we did in RiffWorks was create the tracks automatically with your entire signal chain on them. So if you can do that, if you know who you're, who's playing, which... You know, if you detect the instrument, you know more than my product. I know you're a guitar player because I sold you the thing because you're a guitar player. (laughs) (laughs) So if you can do that for any instrument, then you're broadening that, you know, workflow uh, smoothing, the smoothing of the workflow. You're broadening that to a point where now anyone is more comfortable sitting down and just being like, well, I feel like playing the violin today. Okay, (laughs) now you're, you know, doing the right thing for them. It's much more... Uh, fluid, creative place. At the same time, you can't blame them for being threatened because the last 20 years has been a long, continual process of replacing 
skill in the music studio with technologies. It's a I can completely uh, see their perspective, and if the mixing engineer in the back wants to club me over the back of the head later, that's, that's okay, but I can I present my arguments to you as well. Uh, you know, but what we're seeing is actually a, a nice melding of, you know, if it's, you picture it as a pyramid where you know, maybe you know, there's, there's X people that actually know how to take an album from start to finish and make it sound amazing, but there's you know, a thousand X as many people that know how to just kind of create a song. We're seeing technology from the professional studios kind of migrate into these simplified apps, you know, like, uh, you know, like, like, like 4Track, Doug, you were saying how you, you, know, you really just kind of chose the very basic elements and put you know, pan and uh, you know, EQ compression and then left it there. You know, so those were kind of culled from you know, decades of audio engineering, mm -hmm. simplified into an app. Um, and what I hope we're going to see now is um, kind of a, a question I have for jo John is the, the future of the desktop. So how do you see some of these technologies that we're talking about, you know, this kind of simplification making their way into more complex desktop software packages? Well, it's gradually reducing the barriers to entry, for one thing. It's always been, and even still is now, it's, it's incredibly complex to learn how to do desktop music production. I mean, we say it's democratized, and that's true to an extent, but it's still really, really difficult to wrap your mind around Pro Tools and all these software instruments. But as these kind of simpler technologies are incorporated with that, we're going to see it be easier and easier to do even very complex things on the computer. Awesome, and you know, so it's an inevitable progression. We've seen it happening yeah, I mean, for like, years already. But yeah, I mean, just reducing that barrier to entry. If it's only ten dollars to start playing with four track, I, I had a guitar on layaway that was seven hundred dollars, and then decided to pull the trigger on getting a four track for four hundred and fifty dollars. That was my first cassette four track. So this is ten dollars, and it's on the thing that you already had. It's a phone. And it's better, actually. And it, yeah, <laughs> a thousand times better. Yeah, absolutely. And you know the. Yeah, the sharing, but, the the editing, everything is so far beyond. And but you still like you're learning it incrementally. I went to school for a year to do recording stuff, and it was like day one, align a tape machine, and you're like, what does this have to do with recording? You know. So we've come so far from that to where we are now. Um, it's uh, it's really fun to to see and exposing even younger kids to making the music and. You know, having it all on a touch interface, so you aren't toggling through tiny little one-inch LCDs to like get to parameters, and I mean, it's already yeah. becoming so much nicer. So, how does it integrate with the desktop? I mean, I I see the idea is already starting to like iMachine will be the simple version, and there will be the desktop version. Pretty soon, you'll want your desktop there, but you'll be playing it on the iPad, controlling the Possibly, desktop, yeah. you know, that, that kind of thing. I mean, there's Pro Tools remote controls, so the producer could be at the back of the room and think they're controlling Pro Tools. And, you know, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> joke there. Um, uh, you know, the, the connections between the desktop and the, and the tablet especially will blur really quickly to be like, well, what are you doing on the tablet and what are you doing on the desktop? And it's like, well, I only really want to use my desktop when I have the big monitor, so yeah, it's a laptop because it's quiet, but that's when I want to use the 23-inch monitor so I can see the whole project at once. It's like the completion phase when you're really doing the end mix, but all of the writing and pieces you did in the park on your tablet because that's where it was inspiring. So, um, 
you, you know, Doug, you touched on something that um, uh, is re you know really interesting point. When we talk about lowering the barrier to entry for music creation, I mean we've gone from the there's there's price point, portability, sh you know, ease of sharing. Um, I'm, I'm interested, uh, uh, John. Maybe you can address. Uh, have you seen the the age barrier to entry lowered? Or Jeff, sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for us, we like we actually did a kids app. We've partnered with uh, Kids Bop, which uh, you know us hipster music technologists might, you know, look down our nose at Kids Bop, but it's a huge, powerful, you know, distribution method for music to kids, you know. And so we made a, a version of our app uh, to focus on that kids market using those kids' recordings of pop songs. Uh, and we have really young kids using it. Um, you know, I have two young daughters. They love using Star Maker. And, and these, you know, we see younger and younger kids getting involved in this, and I think it's a great thing. They feel empowered to, to actually feel like they're creating music early on. Um, so I think it really does lower the, the age barrier. Yeah, I mean, same thing with us. Um, you know, our, our biggest fans are probably two-year-olds. Um, they, they love our products. And everyone, you know, we've seen people of all ages using them. But what's really interesting is that um, when, you're, when you're two, you're not afraid of your voice. You're not, um, you don't feel embarrassed about singing or talking or hearing yourself singing and talking. Um, and so it's, it's really cool to, to get to, to get to uh, you know kids at that age and start to engage them with music creation before they start to build these put up these barriers around themselves and you know we were talking about this earlier there's this you know I think we are increasing the size of the funnel basically by because we're getting them earlier you know and getting them to have these pretty sophisticated music creation experiences at a very young age those are the really young barriers and then um, in our collaboration and sharing stuff we see the barrier that's sort of the like genre age barrier for who you're playing music with disappearing we have 16 year olds jamming with 65 year olds the, the older guys are playing metal and the younger kids are playing blues and they're totally blending their styles and not just being like well i'm 16 i can only play with other kids who are between 16 and 19 and listen to band of the week you know so the because the investment in playing music with someone online is so much lower than finding somebody live and in person to play with, you get a totally different group of people playing music together, whether it's across oceans or across age boundaries. Like that, all of that is is transcended. That actually, I was just going to say, um, sorry, um, th that both Native and Sonoma Wireworks really allow that sort of artist-to-artist -artist collaboration that used to be so difficult that um, people can be sharing pieces and create songs together. And I think at our, sort of at our end of the table, it's about sort of more fan-to-artist collaboration. Um, and from our perspective, it's about, it's actually about changing that perspective where there used to be those on stage performing out to you and you were passively listening um, and just passively experiencing that music. You're down in the audience and not participating. And now it's one where... Uh, the user is collaborating with the artist, with the song, uh, uh, and participating and uh, interacting with it and making it their own. So, you know, I think there's a whole range of uh, the spectrum here, but there's all sorts of collaboration that all of these apps allow that, that just wasn't there a, a, a very few years ago. I, I think this topic of lowering the barriers of entry kind of leads to what was the most interesting point that I thought we were talking about in the green room, which was... Um, 
as we always are talking about how more and more people can make music, everyone can share their music, you can put it on TuneCore, you can put it on SoundCloud, you can make it with all these apps, you don't even know, need to know how to sing, but all those things result in more and more creators of music, and on the one hand, it's very interesting to me that before the invention of recorded music, music was like a much more important mode of communication between people. It was something that groups of people used to share their experiences, and it, it was kind of a bonding experience for groups. It goes back to the dawn of human history. And since we've been recording music, we've kind of gotten to this stage where, like you were saying, when people are kids, they sing, and then when you get to a certain age, you learn, oh, well, music is something done by professionals. You know, you don't, you don't sing. You know, you're not good at singing. And so that's kind of been lost. And now what we're seeing in recent years with all these technologies is kind of a return to how humans originally used music, which was much more omnipresent and not just uh, the product of a professional class. Now, at the same time, I'm a member of that professional class. So, <laughs> although I think this is great, it's been, it's been bad for me in other ways. But um, just, just as an example of something I threw out, I have been a composer in Hollywood for some small projects. And... I kind of know how that world used to be from talking to people that were there 20 or 30 years ago. And the main thing that's changed is that in order to make a TV score or a film score, you know, say in the 70s, not only did you need to know how to compose all the music and write it down and get all the musicians to play it, you also had to have access to a professional production facility. You had to have mixing engineers. It was this whole thing, you know, even to make like, what was I watching there? And I like uh, one of those old Bruce Lee movies. I think it's Lalo Schiffer, if I'm not mistaken. But... Um, now, I made a whole score for this documentary I finished a couple months ago. I made the whole thing in my bedroom. I did a very professional job. I mixed and mastered everything myself. And so I got a couple thousand dollars for it because there's a lot of other people that could do it just like me, you know. Now, I think I did a good job, but certainly a lot of people could produce a professional product. And we used to see, like, jingle houses. People could do jingles, and that was a full-time living because you would get a jingle, and you would get another jingle, and you would get another jingle, and they would pay pretty good. But now anybody can do a jingle. So the barriers of entry has kind of made it less of a profession and more of a, I don't know what, a hobby, perhaps. <laughs> well, I, but I like uh, just, to, just to say one more thing, I think ultimately I think this is good because what I really care about as a musician is getting good music out there and the more people that are involved in music as a discourse, I think we'll hear good music from the people who are actually actually have something to say. Whereas before this kind of revolution, the market was just shifting the most popular, lowest common denominator stuff to the top. So I think it's a lot more interesting now. Okay, I'll stop now. Well, no, no, no. Great, great points. And, and uh, there's, there's getting good music out there, and there's getting good questions up here. Um, uh, received a sign uh, that we're... Uh, we got about 10 minutes remaining, so uh, got some questions back there. Yes? Um, it seems like a lot of what you're talking about is... It seems like a lot of, of, uh, of what's on people's minds is, uh, uh, is making it harder to make a mistake, making it harder to really fail. But I'm not hearing so much about, you know, raising the possibilities. I mean, it seems like, all right, uh, 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 it's harder to sing out of tune, but, you know doing interesting things with tonality uh, is a big part of making something that's really expressive and interesting. So do you all feel that you're sort of dulling the music that's being created and making something that's not offensive and terrible and grating but isn't you know, transcendent and beautiful? <laughs> Silence. 
that's a great question. I was just going to say something I said in the green room was I used to be a studio bassist. That was my first main career. And when I first started in the 90s, the whole objective of it was to play like a machine. People wanted you to play from beginning to end. Don't make any mistakes. Just do it as cheaply as possible. But then after some years, it became where you could just do that part yourself. If you're the producer, you don't need a bass player. You just play it in with samples. So if you actually hire a bass player, you want him to sound like a human being playing the part. Which is it's, so it's just a really total shift. Interesting. Yeah, I'm just something yeah, really interesting. Yeah, so um, I think uh, making things that are transcendent and beautiful isn't going to stop no matter what we do. <laughs> people, people will always aspire to do that. Certain people will always aspire to do that, and those are the people who are going to push our tools and push the ideas that we come up with. You know, no matter what we give them, um, you know, they take old beat up analog synthesizers and make incredible music that shouldn't be possible on that technology they're going to take you know the things we do on the phone and and push them to boundaries that we didn't know were there um if i was one of those beautiful transcendent people i wouldn't write software (laughs) (laughs) so uh i envy them to me, all these kind of apps are just bringing more people in and stimulating their creativity. And then ultimately, those the people who are brought into it through these simple apps, if they really have something to say, then they'll progress on to whatever whatever medium suits them, I suppose. I mean, that's you know that was what I was talking about about Perna's thing. Is it's like uh, if you can write something beautiful and transcendent, just because you can break it down to I only have to write the lyrics, you can transcend it on you know on that part, and then you know, change the music later. I mean, at least you're, you're, you're giving people the possibility that they can figure out that they want to transcend, you know, instead of just like, you have to take violin lessons for 10 years before you can even consider transcending <laughs> is, I mean, that's a huge barrier. Um, doesn't mean that I still don't want people to do that. Like I said, I, you know, my nine year old's been playing saxophone for two years now. And he's playing Dexter Gordon by ear. There, there are people who can and will do that. I can't do that. But, you know, he's doing it, and I'm going to give him every chance to do that until he decides he doesn't want to do it anymore. But you can only, like, people have to decide they want to do that, and the tools aren't what makes that decision for them. Yeah, and so I'm going to play something. I don't know. It's going to be off YouTube. I don't know if it will come through with the network. But this was made using Lottie Da and Wolf Howls. Wolf Howls, you said? Like recordings of wolves howling? Yeah. Oh, wow. All right, so the point is basically like even wolves can make music. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this was, it was made, it was, it was human creativity that decided to take a wolf howls and put it through this technology, right, and create this sound that was, I think, pretty unique. And to me, I mean, I think that's actually really beautiful. And if you look at the, it, there's a video associated with it with wolves howling. I think the whole thing is actually a pretty unique and, and transcendental, you know, musical experience. In the middle. Um, I got a question about the platforms and limitations you find. So when you're developing these applications, um, you know, kind of on mobile devices, that sort of thing, 
What are the, the walls that you uh, run up against and say, memory. I, what's memory? Memory. <laughs> memory, memory, memory. Anything else? Give me more memory. No, really, just, just RAM. Just CPU and memory. I mean, well, CPU. memory we hit first. We run out of memory first. I mean, there's all kinds of trick that you, tricks that you can do, but that's like the boring, like, accountant-type programming job where you're trying to save memory. That's not the creative, I'm making a cool app thing. And the, the one thing the desktop did and the ridiculous amounts of memory we have on the desktop, and people call it bloat and lazy programming and whatever else. But the fun part of programming a musical, uh, uh, you know, a tool is not finding every last byte of memory that you can take out of the app so that it runs best. That's right. not the fun part. I don't relish that part of the development cycle. I do it in order to make my program run as best it can, but it's not the sure. that's not the part of making a musical creation tool that's interesting. You want to put the snazziest graphics and the fastest refresh rate and the the um, the the best processing that you can. I mean, 512 megs. We can't do a nice convolution reverb. So you know, it's in sample libraries. I mean, you can suck up every last ounce of RAM on any desktop machine people can put together in a minute. So memory, mo okay. memory. Okay. Yeah. So, and that's just cost. It's right. price and time. And in five years, I'll be complaining that it's not enough. And in five years <laughs> after that, I'll be complaining that it's not enough. And it might be a technology, like what kind of memory you know, that could change over time. Sure. Uh, maybe you're using more flash versus DRAM kind of stuff. No, I'm, you, you know, that level but from a music journalism. from a music program perspective, RAM is invaluable. So you know, the more of it I have, the more cool stuff I can do. I mean, the iPhone four that um, uh, when they put five twelve in the iPhone four, it was like great, and then they doubled the resolution of the graphics, and you want here, you know, so more pixels, less memory for everything else. So. Right. It's it's brutal, um, you know. It was it was a big it was a big jump back to go from what we were doing before mm-hmm. to um, oh wow now I mean it's when when the three G and the three GS were at a hundred or one hundred twenty eight on the three G was just brutal mm-hmm. because the OS was taking a hundred of that, right? So we had twenty eight, <laughs> so that was harsh. Two fifty six on the three GS gave us a hundred plus to, to play with, and after already having done the three G, the three GS was like. Land, we can do whatever we want, build huge houses, do anything. But, um, you know, iPad was harsh because they didn't really increase it that much compared to the screen real estate. So the graphics absorbed almost all the free memory. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, you know, it's work. That's the work part sure. of programming, yep. not the fun part. Yep. So, okay. yeah. Awesome. We, and we got time for about one, one more question. Um, so I just want to thank all of you because um, just the way that music has changed in the last five years, it's unbelievable. Um, the availabil- the avail- availability of software and for um, young people to be producing music and uh, making beats, it's just a really great thing. So um, thanks to all of you because you guys are creating the, the next generation of music and it's uh, going to be a really great thing. Hey, thank you. Cheers. Thank you. And and on that note, uh, please join me in thanking uh, my panelists for giving up their time.